This is a CNA podcast. Here's the health matters question for the day. Should you be should doctors be writing a prescription for meditation instead of medication when it comes to type 2 diabetes? Well, I can't take full originality for that question. It was part of a recently published meta-analysis uh, looking at the concept of the utility of mind-body practices for people with type 2 diabetes to help control their blood sugar. How could this work? I mean, what does the study indicate? And should you maybe start asking Doc for um, a little bit of meditation advice. Dr. Benung is here, endocrinologist from Arden Endocrinology, so often helping us understand diabetes issues in the past. Back on the show. Dr. Ung, welcome back. Well, what did the study show? It looked pretty impressive. The headlines of the study basically says that if you start doing this mind-body practices, mm. you can reduce your blood sugars. And the blood sugars is what we call clinically significant. Now, for those with diabetes or who know about diabetes, we measure diabetes and sugar control by what we call the HbA1c, which is kind of a measurement of your blood sugars over the last three months. Now, the study claims to show that if you do these practices, you can reduce your A1c by about 0.8%. Now, translated in layperson's terms, it means that you will drop your average sugars about 1 to 1.5 millimoles per liter, or even better, if you sustain this, if, if these studies is to, believe, to, to be believed, you can reduce your risk of heart disease by 10 to 20% just through meditation alone. So it's pretty impressive stuff. Because these are these are the actual markers that you and doctors and medical professionals look at when it comes to diabetes is that HbA1c level, and so I mean, how what is the link there? I mean, does it have to do with stress? I think a lot of us associate these mind-body practices, these calming lifestyle practices, with the idea of like stress management and stress control. But is stress? I've, I've thought about stress being linked to cardiac issues in the past. Is it linked to blood sugar? Well, certainly seems to be. I mean, the, 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 keeping in mind, this is just a meta-analysis. So they didn't really go down into exactly why, but certainly I, I think that you're on to something there because we know that stress actually can contribute to uh, abnormal blood sugars. In fact, what we see in those people who do not have diabetes, if you have a lot of physiological stress, you know, uh, you're working very hard, you've got mel- mental health problems, you are exposed to aggressive behaviors, there's an increased risk of the new... Uh, for you to develop diabetes and if you have diabetes if you're very stressed you you work in um, irregular hours you're living a very stressful life and all that your blood sugars can actually get worse and the mechanism of this is this when you are under stress your body feels it's under attack and a normal response when your body is under attack is you start releasing these stress hormones uh, such as cortisol mm. adrenaline and growth hormones and the mechanism of this Uh, hormones is this, you feel you're under attack. Therefore, the body says, listen, I'm under stress. I need a lot more energy. I need to to use this energy to fight and and, and escape and so forth. And what the the body needs then is a rise in blood sugars because sugar is food for the body, for your muscles and all that. So what these cortisol, adrenaline and growth hormones do is they cause a rise in your blood sugars. And that's a normal mechanism to stress. That is, and that's the thing. And also, when you're stressed out, I think like a lot of people, like the sleep will be bad, 
They might be, you know, having a bit more cocktails in the night, smoking behavior. It all comes up as well. Absolutely. So when we are stressed, first of all, it causes a rise in insulin. So we try to bring the sugars down in the first place. And that obviously exhausts the body if you, if you do that in a chronic manner. Then obviously, I mean, all of this has been stressed before and the lifestyle mechanisms kick into place. Junk Listen, food comes miserable. in, food therapy. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you, you try to eat more junk food, smoking, alcohol, you know, anything to try and actually help that. So again, so the, the mechanism of stress is a lot more complex when you, you mentioned and how it raises the blood sugars. One, the physiological manifestations, the hormones which cause the rise in blood sugars, and then the potential lifestyle trends to try and elevate the stress through smoking, alcohol, and all that bad habits that we have. Dr. Ung is an endocrinologist out of Ardent Endocrinology, and we're looking at this particular study showing whether or not these, these mind-body practices like meditation could actually help control your blood sugar levels. What were some of the specific mind-body interventions that were looked at? Well, they looked at a couple of things. I mean, and I'll, I'll, I'll analyze this in detail, in, in, uh, just superficially. One was meditation. And again, what we know is the practice of meditation, you know, what, what it does is tries to reduce stress, help with negative emotions and so forth, helps us cope with our uh, and improve our health-related behaviors and so forth. Interestingly, another one in which this study looked at was Qigong. And as we know, this is a mind-body integrative exercise originating from traditional medicine. So I, I, I'm not an expert in that area, but what I believe it does is it involves moving uh, meditation, coordinating slow flowing movements and uh, incorporating deep rhythmic breathing. So all these kinds of things seem to help. In fact, uh, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health seems to indicate that it does seem to help blood sugars and chronic diseases if you do practice it. So wow. it, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, another one which uh, the study looked at was yoga. And um, this one is for all the yoga uh, fans out there. I, I'm no expert, <laughs> but from what I read, yeah, it, it originated more than 5,000 years ago. And it apparently tries to balance and harmonize the body, mind, and emotions. And it's, it's a pretty complicated thing. And I'm not going to go into too much about it, but there are physical types of yoga, there are spiritual types of yoga. But I think the conclusion to all these three things the study looked at is that it really tried to focus to balance your mind, body, and spirit. Mm. And I think, Daniel, it's very important, isn't it? Ultimately, when people see a doctor, they think, oh, my body is not well. And, and that's probably true, but we all connected, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you can't have uh, a high fever and feel very good about yourself. You can't be going through a breakup in a relationship and feel very good about yourself. So mm. I think that ultimately, when we what, what this study really shows is that when you treat someone, you're treating everything, isn't it? You're treating your body. We, we can do that in the scientific sense with medications and so forth. But your mood matters, your, 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 your spiritual well-being and so forth certainly matters because we're treating the whole unit. Are there actually guidelines or recommendations in terms of whether, going back to my original question, can we prescribe meditation instead of medication? Well, I think what we can do is start to prescribe lifestyle. And I know Ben Tan quite well as well. Ultimately, I think what we're getting into here is that we are here, as I mentioned before, not to treat the disease, but to treat the patient 
to treat the individual. And the guidelines for the Americans, the Europeans, basically they're, they're quite general, but they say a holistic approach is required. And I, I, I think that's entirely true. Everyone is different, isn't it? Ultimately, when you look at the breakdown, the components of meditation, qigong, and yoga, ultimately, what are you doing? Ultimately, you're trying to help the patient to cope better, not only with the disease process, but with their life in general. And what we find is when someone is more at peace, more happy, are more able to cope, they choose better options for their life and they're less stressed and certainly seems to imply that all this indicates that they will do a lot better with regards to your diabetes. This is fascinating because, again, if I were to just think about each of these individual things that you mentioned, like the Qigong or like the yoga, there's so many elements that could be played. It could be the breathing it could be the brain connection that we don't have an understanding about uh, fully yet. Uh, it could be the fine motor skill movements. It could be the nature of the exercise. In general, do we know that all of these have always had some kind of good impact on blood sugar control? I mean, it goes back to like diet, exercise, lifestyle, right? I mean, it does in an extent, but what I think, what, what this, I, and I think that the important thing to take away or the limitation of this study is that it didn't really break down exactly what, oh, you know, this particular yoga practice right. was better or this, uh, this part of Qigong or this kind of meditation. And I, I certainly don't want anyone to sign, start signing up for classes. Yes, and all just that. because of our discussion. Yes. Better. Yeah. But I think what is important is that certainly what it shows is that these things work. You know, when, when, when Ben tells us prescribing exercise, mm. I think what we should do, rather than we extend that, we prescribe exercise, we prescribe diet, we prescribe lifestyles, you know. Ultimately, we, exam, we, we evaluate the patient and, and those people who have diabetes or chronic diseases, evaluate your lifestyle. Are you stressed? Are you having bad habits? And more importantly, how do you want to cope? to help it, you know. And yes, if you find meditation works for you, if yoga works for you, if alternative uh, things work for you, even as I think as simple as going out with your friends to exercise, to chat, you know, that, that and if it seems to elevate your, help your stress levels, help you cope better, maybe that's something we need to look into rather than saying that meditation per se is what we need. What's so interesting about this is that its impact could be measured in a way, with a combination of these these body-mind practices. What do you think is the key takeaway from all of this? I mean, I think the key takeaway is this. The bottom line is that I think that you, the treatment of diabetes is holistic. It combines a combination of both uh, physical, mental, and spiritual aspects. I think that's extremely important. And when you look at the original publication, this study really combines various interventions from a mind and body perspective. And we talked about the yoga, meditation, and so forth. Now, the important thing is that when the, this uh, study looked at it, it didn't break it down. In other words, um, the important take-home is that don't, please don't go sign up for a yoga meditation class if it's not suitable for you. I think that what it does show is that there seems to be some variation in re results um, and um, it, it, it's not able, we, the study was not able to break it down to say that this was particularly useful or that was particularly useful. What it did say was that intervention from a mind-body perspective can reduce blood sugars. I think that's extremely important. And the important thing is that we, we should use that in combination with what we have already, where, whether it's dietary prescription, uh, exercise prescription, and medication prescription. So again, I think we have to go back to the 
bottom line, which is really treating the patient alone rather than just the disease itself. Because if you look at previous data, psychological interventions, you know, counseling, cognitive behavioral therapy, we also have data showing that there is more or less the same reduction in blood sugars. So you can see again that this adds... um, credence to the fact that treating the patient from a psychological element is extremely important. Now, before we go on, uh, Daniel, I just mm. want to highlight a very important thing, which is the, the fact that we have a chronic disease, whether it's blood pressure, cholesterol, or diabetes, that itself creates a stressful environment. Imagine if you had a diagnosis of diabetes and everyone who cares about you says, listen, you, you can't eat this anymore. You, you must do more exercise. That itself brings some stress. On top of that, you have to see the doctor every few months, and that's the, uh, that can be quite a stressful situation when you don't know your results. You have to wait in the clinic, and you see bad results, and you get even more stressed. So having a chronic disease itself can be stressful. So you put that all together, that can potentially create psychological issues and increase stress, which again makes your blood sugars even worse. i got to say, I don't think a lot of... Uh, doctors and patients address that in their diabetes management. I think that that's the thing. When we go down to the guidelines, it's easy to talk about, but this yeah. takes time, isn't it? Because sometimes, even from the patient perspective, you may not be aware of that. You know, you may not be aware that having the disease is create itself is creating some stress, and the fact that oh, you know, you're working extremely hard, you got deadlines and all that, and people don't think that that's an element that cre- that is actually contributing. And what you we don't want to do, Daniel, is to say that oh, uh, your sugars are climbing. Um, at it's getting worse, that makes your stress worse and your sugars even worse. Let's start adding in more tablets and you get more stress and your sugars get worse and let's start adding in more tablets. You see that vicious cycle, isn't yeah. it? What we want to be aware of, and I hope the listeners uh, are aware, will be made aware, is that the stress levels and if you uh, can contribute to high sugars and if you can reduce that, that can reduce your sugars and your risk significantly. But what if I come and tell you, I mean, whatever method works for you, Great, it might work. But what if my method is to sit down, to binge watch Netflix, and to eat potato chips? You know what I mean? Yeah, but but that's the issue, isn't it, Daniel? Ultimately, we talked about this in the beginning. One of the methods, unfortunately, of coping with stress is to the deal delve in more unhealthy activities yeah. such as the binge eating and all that. So I think we need to take it forward and moving on from there. I think the 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 essential, most basic step is to be aware that stress can affect chronic disease, stress can increase blood sugars, and because of that, it can make the risk of diabetes, blood sugars developing diabetes worse. Then you go back one step from there, and you start to realize that the intervention, you don't go see your doctor, Mm. uh, your diabetes doctor, just to take pills. I think ultimately it's really a time where you sit down and analyze. If your blood sugars are rising, why is that the case? Is it because of stress leading to worsening diet and lifestyle? Is there other issues you need to address? Because ultimately, when you come down to intervention from a diabetes perspective, remember it's holistic. We need to treat the whole individual. You can't be, again, you can't be well physically uh, or you can't be unwell physically and expect your mental state to be okay. Similarly, you can't be stressed and expect your physical body to be fine. When you come down to intervention for diabetes, it's a combination of your diet, your exercise, your psychological, physiological health, 
and combination combine that with medication. So what you really need to do is you need to get that kind of balance and that intervention is not just from a doctor perspective and a patient. You may need to get other people involved. And yes, it can be your yoga teacher. It can be your uh, Qigong master. But ultimately, find something that fits. Be aware that your lifestyle and, uh, and your stress contributes to your health. And that will be your first step to actually getting better. See, I love what you just said about the importance of working closely and collaboratively with your doctor. But I think a lot of us think, and, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, especially when it comes to patients managing their diabetes. Can I tell my doctor the reality of my life and, and, and establish that connection so that the doctor understands what I, what I can be changing and doing and improving? Should I bring in five bullet points or something? Well, I, I think that's important because I think at the very basic, I mean, you need to get alongside with your doctor. Yeah. You remember, I always tell all my patients the, the, the same thing. The most important thing, you're not going in your consultation to have an argument. Mm. Ultimately, it's not a scolding session. Yes. Both of you want the same thing. The doctor and yourself, you want good blood sugars. You need to find a way to get it. Mm. The question is, how do you want to achieve that? You want to take lots of pills? You can. Mm. I don't think it's wrong, but you may be missing the elephant in a room here because you need to ask yourself, what's contributing to it? And can you fix that? So the prescription and the plan, perhaps a plan is better than a prescription, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just medication, but what am I going to do to try to reduce that? And more importantly, that plan has to change. What I get a bit um, frustrated sometimes is patients expect to be on the same medication all the time or to increase the medication. Yeah. Well, let's put it in another way. Ultimately, even for us who don't have diabetes, fortunately, your weight is not the same every day. You, you, your weight goes up and down throughout the year and our blood sugars, our stress levels go up and down throughout the year depending on what happens. Therefore, your intervention and treatment for diabetes should, can change on the, on the times where, oh, I'm going, on a health, uh, I'm going to be more healthy for this three, four months. You may need less medication. If you're more stressed and look, I've got no time to exercise, I'm going to be really stressed and I can't help it because I've got these deadlines. You may be prepared that, listen, I can't help the stress. I need more medication. And this is where the conversation with your doctor is extremely important. You need to ascertain a time where how much you can do versus how much your doctor can do. That's why I always enjoy our discussions, Dr. Ong. Thank you so much. That's the idea. Reframing our approach to understanding the control of blood sugars, looking at the body as a whole, looking at the individual as a whole, and making those decisions in partnership with your doctor. So, you know, having that conversation is important. Bring up the reality. Bring in those five bullet points. Prepare beforehand. And also, be honest, if you're taking a lot of third-party things, things you bought off the internet to reduce your natural statins or something like that, Go and tell your doctor, okay? And work with them on these things as well. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Ben Ung, for helping us understand that, yeah, maybe these mind-body activities do have a part to play, especially based on this recent study, uh, in terms of controlling blood sugar levels and type 2 diabetes. Dr. Ben Ung's endocrinologist out of Ardent Endocrinology, based at Mount Elizabeth Novena. I'm Daniel Martin, and this, this has been Health Matters. Before making any decisions based on the information in our program, please consult a medical professional.